People think time is fragile, precious, beautiful, sand in an hourglass, all that. But it's not. Time is savage. It always wins. So this is meaningless. Welcome to Rediscovery, the Star Trek recap podcast that won't try to kill you. Let's face it, that's all we can promise at this point in time in Discovery. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joined by my science officer, Ben McKenzie. Ben, are you tempted to have further augmentation with nanobots? Oh, no, 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 no. Nanobots, no? No, 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 bots. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) bots. It's episode 11 and moving towards wrapping up season two's storyline and a lot of elements of season one. Mm. But not before some more twists and turns. Namely, the Red Angel does not know anything about the Red Burst. What? This episode addresses many other things I was confused about, but let's back it up to a flashback. We meet 11-year-old Michael with her parents on Doctari Alpha. We are shown that, yes, Michael's mother used the time travel suit to get away from the Klingons, sending her 950 years into the future, a future where no sentient life exists. Michael comes to in sick bay. Hugh has been reinstated as a medical officer and is treating her. Michael believes it's all a dream and is desperately shocked to find out it wasn't. Her mother is unconscious on ISO 4. She begs to see her but is too unwell. Cut to section 31 and Leland is being held captive by worker robots at Control's direction. Control reveals to Leland that it now needs a corporeal presence in order to complete its mission. Get the sphere's data. Leland is injected with nanobots that overtake his body and effectively make him a puppet for control. This is going to end badly. Michael's mother gains consciousness and is wild with fury. She begs to be released so she can continue her mission to stop control. She has battled the timeline with over 800 missions, every attempt to change the outcome of total sentient annihilation unsuccessful. Dr. Burnham begs Pike to delete the Sphere archive. It is the only way that control cannot evolve. She has the worn bitterness of someone who has been alone too long and seen too much. She has no patience for chit-chat and does not want to see Michael. (laughs) The crew try to delete the Sphere's data, but it is too heavily self-protected. They decide to transfer the data to the suit instead and send it far into the future where it cannot be accessed by control. Spock discovers one of Gabriel Burnham's logs, explaining that his unique human Vulcan psychology and his dyslexia made him the only person she could successfully communicate with, and he and Michael discuss their shared past. They ask Pike to let Michael talk with her mother, and he agrees, since the energy holding her in the present will soon run out and she'll be snapped back into the future. But Gabriel remains bitter and stubborn. Only she can save all life from control, and she tells Michael to let her go. Control Leland, meanwhile, had sent Tyler to Discovery to steal the sphere data, claiming he has a secure location in the Section 31 ship's computer, and that he knows Gabrielle Burnham is dead, so is suspicious of the Red Angel. After the data encrypts itself, Tyler refuses to go through with the plan, and Control Leland, surprisingly, backs him, leaving him aboard Discovery. He instead sends Giorgio to intercept the transfer of data to the suit. 
Giorgio and Dr. Burnham discuss Michael mother to mother, but when Gabrielle describes Control's attitude to her, using the exact same phrase Control Leland used earlier, Giorgio realizes what's up just as Michael and Stamets arrive with phase two of their plan. Using dark matter to power the transporter and free Michael's mum from the tether back into the future. Giorgio sends Tyler to secretly check on Leland, and he discovers Control has taken him over, but too late to avoid being stabbed with a shard of glass. Tyler sends a quick warning to Discovery as Control Leland beams down and tries to take the data by force. He's not slowed down by phaser fire, so Giorgio engages him in melee. Gabrielle begs Michael to let her go. There's no time for the transporter part of the plan. They have to destroy the devices keeping her here so the suit, her and the data are taken out of Control's reach. Burnham, Stamets and Nan shoot the emitters and the suit and Dr. Burnham are sucked back into the future. Seconds later, Discovery beams all crew back aboard and destroys the base with photon torpedoes, but it seems Control Island escaped, leaving behind only an escape pod with Tyler inside. Poor Tyler. He's had a rough day. (laughs) Feeling defeated as Control now has about half of the Sphere's data, Burnham is comforted by Spock, who assures her that what they do now can affect the future and that they can win through a combination of instinct and logic. Carla... What's your instinct about this episode? <laughs> um, I don't know. I was just grateful to have so many question marks that I had wrapped up from last episode about, yeah. you know, Hugh, what Hugh was doing, what happened to Michael. The thing that we don't know that's still left over is Michael's dad. Yes. Big question mark there. Well, yeah, we don't know if he's alive or dead. That's true. And also, I still don't understand how I will just refer to as the suit because it's no longer the Red Angel and it doesn't have an official title, Project yeah. Daedalus suit or whatever. Yeah. Um, I still don't understand how the point 950 years in the future is the snapback point. Well, this is kind of what we were talking about last episode. So we knew that she had to have gone into the future. Mm. And, my, and I think what happened was the first time she used it, it went wrong somehow. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. and now it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is tethering itself to its origin point. But unfortunately, that origin point is the point 950 years in the future. Okay. Yeah. So, I, which, look, I mean, whether that, I, I got a lot of questions about the logic of how they've decided the suit works. Because <laughs> I, I actually have to say, I was a little bit disappointed by the, that element of this episode. I thought everything else was great. But I thought some of the logical stuff, or how they point out it works, I'm like, that seems a bit dodgy to me. But, but look, you know, it worked, it worked for the drama, so I won't complain too much. Okay. But still, I have, I have some questions. All right. Concerns. Well, why don't you – do you want to ask them or do you want to just leave it until we see some more episodes? I think – well, I look, they might – they may well answer them for me. I don't know. But I do um, – yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, got, I will say, though, if we go right back to the flashback at the start of the episode, the whole thing where Michael's like, they never told me that they worked on a spacesuit, like that they worked for <laughs> Section 31 on time travel. They're discussing it openly in front of I her. I mean, you know, she doesn't know what crystal or suit means, I guess. But still, those are, I guess they could be things that her parents' other scientific disciplines are about. Still. Yeah. I don't know. They I weren't very that secretive. <laughs> that was weird. No. But I also think it, you know, it harkens back to the overall theme of this, which is trauma. And mm. so trauma really warps your ability to recall information. Like some information you remember like you're still there and other information just is not. She's also a child. She doesn't really have. That's true. You know. That's true. Much in, I would just say it's not that she doesn't have the understanding, but she's a child. She probably has little interest 
mm. and what her parents are doing together at work. So it just didn't register. Yeah, she's really interested in the supernova. Yeah, yeah, and, and being a kid, the science weird, weird nerd science kid. Yeah, I can identify with that. <laughs> Uh, but also, she you know she doesn't have the context. She doesn't know anything about time crystals or Project Daedalus. So yeah, but I was I was a little bit weirded out that it's just in the next room in a hidden alcove. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was a bit that was a bit intense. But that's all right. What other things did we have ticked off? Oh yeah, Leyland alive. Yeah, for control. Yeah, so I think we were both right. Like he wasn't injected with something yet. He was just stabbed in the eye. But also. He wasn't dead, and he did get injected with something this episode. So, it's kind of like both of us were right. I quite liked that outcome, uh, but but awful. Like, presumably, he's dead now, effectively. Yeah, I think like... Do you think he's still in there somewhere? I don't know. I don't think so. It depends on when control stops controlling him, I guess. It's such a bad word. We can't talk about it without it becoming like a Dr. Zeus yeah. <laughs> book. Yeah. I tell you, like, I, when I was coming up with a portmanteau for his name... <laughs> Control Island does I think work. It's called but a couple's name, Ben. It's yeah, okay, yeah. Well, they are. I'm, I'm shipping them now. No, I definitely don't ship them. Wow, no one should. No one should. No. First of all, no one should be shipped by something called Control. That's like, <laughs> that's that's red flag 101. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about Control too. I find yeah. it very confusing now. Hang on, I just want to back it up one second. Yeah, go. What I thought was happening with the needle was mm. confirmed to me with the first scene that we see him, mm. that I was like, okay, so if control, you know, presumably has control of everything, it's making these little robots that are, like, making modifications to the ship in the background. Mm. And so by seeing these little robots, like, having him pinned down and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, yeah, this is what he's doing. Yeah, okay. We don't know, well, I'm saying a he, uh, we don't know how far developed control is already. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I interpreted that a little bit as the Discovery era equivalent of an emergency medical hologram. Like it's a a medical robot that control has taken control of. Uh But I I don't know if that's true. Like I'm just making that up. And it also, it's made these nanobots. Where did it get nanotechnology from? That's pretty advanced business. Well, this is what I mean about we don't know how much control knows. Yeah. And also we don't know what kind of technology Section 31's got access to. I mean, we know they've got com badges, they've got they've got Terran memory stealing technology, <laughs> they've got um, advanced computer artificial intelligence stuff. Yeah. I mean, they've got all kinds of stuff. I so. think it's safe to say it's got the most knowledge in the universe because it's this confluence of so many different cultures' knowledge that has been stolen or appropriated or yeah. given to them, you know, mostly so a, stolen, I assume. It's a bit of a worry. Tortured out of people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am a little annoyed that we don't have any kind of motivation for it. I don't know. It, it's kind of implied that it, it agrees with Leland's sort of attitude that it must he wants to bring order to the universe, you know, even if he has to be a bit brutal about it. And that he's going to take, you know, control says it's we're going to take that to its logical conclusion. And you're like, but why? I mean, is that what you were built for? Is that is that your sort of directive? And now you're going to take it so far? It's like Skynet, like waking up and going, yeah, okay. So my job is to make sure humans don't kill each other. Well, there's only one way to do that, which is if I kill them all. <laughs> it's like mm. uh, I, it's it's sort of that kind of we assume that the evil artificial intelligence is just going to kill all non you know, artificial intelligent life. Um, but this is my big question about control. And I think actually that, that first scene where it's talking to Leland mm. really brings it up is that the whole point of it wanting the spheres data is so that it can achieve real consciousness. Mm. But what we see of control 
does not in any way seem like it doesn't already have consciousness. Like in what way does it not? Yeah, because it has like it has motivation. Has motivation, has memories, has a personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not sure about a personality. Maybe not a personality <laughs> of its own, but it doesn't need one to achieve its aims. So what's the big deal about it being conscious? It has motivations and desires, which is a cornerstone mm. of sentience. Um I guess really I'm not sure if it's about becoming sentient. I think it's about having the technology to be able to fully realize its plans. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that does make sense. But also it's a bit confusing as to where this motivation is coming from because there's control in the present, right? Mm. And then there's the – because Arium wasn't being controlled by control in the present. Arium was being controlled by Mm. the future AI – sending information back through time. Mm. Although that was only from 500 years in the future. That's right. That's kind of the midpoint. Yeah. But it's not clear when exactly the devastation takes place. Mm. We know that it happened sometime before 950 years in the future. Mm. Um, And we know that it was localized in the Alpha Quadrant um, and that bit of space where the Federation is because Mm. uh, we find out here that Burnham's mum feels safe 50,000 light years away on what would eventually be called Terralysium. So, yeah, that was – I don't know. I still have a lot of questions about it. So, I just don't know. Like, is, who's calling the shots? Control? Future control? It's a bit It's a bit murky. And I'm hoping that – I hope that it gets cleared up. I have a feeling it won't. I have a feeling that they're just sort of, like, happy to go – it's all control. It's control whether it's now or in the future. And I'm like, yeah, well, but I think there's a distinction to be made. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but it just really does seem – like, I mean, this kind of AI robot – conscious robot trope really does seem to reflect our um, anxieties about Mm. who we are as people because they only learn from us, right, and that the human race is inherently destructive in the way that we treat each other and we treat the planet. So there's always this kind of moralistic overtone of, you know, the, the the best human is a dead human, you know, yeah. to an to an AI. So it kind of feels tropey in that way. Um, it also just feels like they just find humans irrelevant, so they should just all be made, yeah. gone, yeah. eradicated. And in this case, not just humans, you know, but Andorians oh, yes, that's and Vulcans right. and um, everybody else. Meat sacks. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, meat sacks. All meat sacks. Um, but, of course, Control's not the only person who shows up to to reveal their secrets this episode because this is where we finally meet the Red Angel properly mm-hmm. and learn what they've been up to all this time. Just How, how did you feel about this? Uh, I felt it was a bit ham-fisted. Yeah. It felt a bit blunt. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I would agree. Just clob it over the face with how stubborn she is, like Michael, blah, blah, blah. Um, but also at the same time, you know, 800 missions, it's got to do something to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't, know, we don't know how much personal time has passed for her, but it's clearly a lot. Mm. Uh, and she's done a lot of things, although not all of the things, it no. would seem. It is a bit intense. I mean, the, I liked the logs, and they're sort of a shorthand way to explain a few things, like the Terralysium colonists, mm. although why she saved them. I, I mean, I they, it's like one sentence, but I gathered that her, the point was she wanted to preserve some vestige of life in the future. And because she's 50,000 light years away and there's no pre-existing technology on the planet, um, for some reason that means she can't be discovered. But why she moves them there, like, 
in the past rather than to where she is. I'm not 100% sure what's so going on So my interpretation of that was like also it was like a uh, an Easter egg, mm. you know, for eventually like f- for no matter how sort of time travel was uncovered or, you know, control was uncovered or whatever, yeah. it was this kind of e- deliberate Easter egg as well that, you know, the, how could these people be there, blah, 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 mysteries of the universe, that kind of thing. Yeah. Although I have to say, now that I think about it, that also doesn't quite make sense because she says <laughs> the reason that she's safe on that planet is that it had no pre-existing technology. But she put pre-existing technology there because she transferred all the colonists, uh, all, the, all those, yeah, well, all those survivors. Um, it's also not really said how or if, I mean, the suit's got some pretty crazy powers, by mm. the way, as well. Like it can bring back the dead with a tachyon burst. <laughs> it can transport an entire church full of people across time and I space. Don't, yeah, I don't know how that works. Light years. Yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah, it does. It, it's it's a bit of a MacGuffin, really, isn't it? <laughs> it can do anything you want it to do. That's not really what a MacGuffin is, but it, you know, it's a it's a plot device, is what it is. Yeah, it does whatever the plot needs it to do. Um, and in this episode, one of the things it does is it can't stay in one place. Now, I thought now we talked about this last episode. I thought they had cut the strand and she was now stuck here, but it turns out that no, they've just caught her and the strand, you know, the the gravitational beam through the wormhole is still open and stretched back. But then, what did they close last episode to stop the transmissions getting through? If that's the case, I don't know. It, it's it's and can a human being survive being? Jetted through a wormhole yeah. without the suit. What's the point of the suit? I know. And where is she going back <laughs> to? This is the other thing that I was a little unclear on at the end of the episode. You know, is she going back to 950 years in the future? That's what I thought. I mean, I thought that was the case. But then yeah. does that mean that they didn't manage to reprogram the suit? I mean, I thought it was a bit weird that they were able to reprogram the suit to go really far into the future past the 950-year mark when the whole point of it was it always just goes back to where it came from. Um, and it can't go anywhere else. So, yeah, I don't know. It was a bit weird. Yeah, it's a mess. It is a bit of a mess. <laughs> it's a bit of a mess. I mean, look, an exciting and dramatic mess. Sure. Um, and I really enjoyed the the ending, particularly with the, you know, Giorgio and Leland just fighting, just smashing each other. Oh, my God. That was great. Michelle Yo, just marry me. Like, have everything I have. Just, just well, I, I don't or need to go that far. Just kick be me on, in the face. Just be on my TV, <laughs> smashing people in the face all the time. Really good My favourite was Giorgio and Tyler forming an alliance. Oh, that was great. That was amazing. I did like that, yeah. Because, yeah, they're two completely outcasted freaks. They yeah. should have an alliance. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I like that, yeah, they, they sort of, they were very chummy about it. Like, they seem to have developed an understanding. Yeah. Uh, and I think their understanding is really forged just in a mutual distrust of Leland, which I thought was nice. And very, you know, obviously, it's not Leland so much that they need to distrust, but what he has become. Uh, um, he didn't seem very bothered by being shot with phasers, did he? No, but he, you know, he's got all of that extra Klingon physiology. No, I meant um, oh. Leland. But, yeah, I, I did think... Uh, that was my first thought when Tyler got stabbed and he's like, he went, I'm like, oh, you've stabbed him thinking he's a human. You've forgotten he's like a Klingon and his organs are in different places and yeah. stuff. But I don't know. I guess we'll find out if that's the case. Is that because the nanobots were just like repairing everything as time goes as as he gets shot? I don't know. I guess so. I mean, that's one of the benefits of having nanobots, right? Is they can do they can do all kinds of jazz. <laughs> can I ask one more stupid question? You can ask as many as you want. Like, I think this episode has given us lots it's of scope limitless. for Limitless. Yeah. So, like, 
I don't understand this whole 950 years in the future thing. There's no sentient life, but mm. there's 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 life of some kind. There's still no, I don't think so. Plants and stuff. Oh, there might be plants. Well, there have to be. What is she some- living on? There must be plants and stuff. But then it does. That's say- my question. What is she living on? If there's no creatures, how is she eating? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> and they keep talking about how all the, all the you know civilizations' homeworlds have been completely destroyed. Yeah. Um, and presumably all sentient life means everybody else. But if you destroy the whole planet, well, you're destroying all life. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe she's just nicked stuff when she comes back That's what I past. thought. She's just, got to get to Macca's. See you later. Yeah. Like there's all these <laughs> undocumented uh, appearances of the Red Angel where she's just like stealing somebody's takeaway. <laughs> but then also how is she like creeping on Michael all this time? Yeah, what's the deal with that? I don't know. Like, it's not exactly subtle, the red angel suit, like, no, when it shows up. just peeping through the window. Even when know? there's not a red burst. It, like, it's an angel floating in the air going, Wah! and there's, like, <laughs> tachyon detection, but, you know, all this kind of stuff that you would think the Vulcan science directorate, if nobody else, would be like, now, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, but it doesn't happen, so I don't know. And so then that goes back to my whole thing of me last episode going i don't understand the whole red burst thing and so at least now i know that it doesn't make sense yeah well not yet anyway so that's watch this space what that's actually like a huge question mark i'm like what is going to happen there it's clearly a a big clue as to the answer yeah i feel like michael is going to end up inside the suit because i also felt that was very hand wavy where they're like yeah it's definitely you this signature definitely matches your brain pattern oh but also there's a big similarity between mums and daughters. I'm like, guys, even when Michael wakes <laughs> up, Michael's like, hey, you said it had to be Especially me, Especially right? with mitochondrial DNA, didn't you know, Ben? I don't know what that's got to do with a no, bioneural signature. Me neither. But then it's all just words, well, isn't it? It's all just words. Isn't mitochondrial, mito- what the mitochondria is the stuff in the brain that, it's electricity in the brain that clears out all the cells well, and keeps everything functioning. Well, mitochondria, there is mitochondria in your brain, but there's mitochondria in every Everywhere, cell in your in body. Everywhere, in every cell, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like the little it's tiny sub-cell out. that was once a separate organism that was captured by the kind of cells that we have. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, and, and the idea is that, you know, that, yeah, the DNA does get carried down the generations without much change. Yeah, but we have 50-50. Not in mitochondria, you don't. Oh, is that what it is? That's my understanding. Okay. Yes. All right. There you go. I might be wrong about that. Please write in if I'm wrong. (laughs) There'll be a show note about it, no doubt. Of course. How do you feel Michael fared this episode? I mean, it was intense for her, obviously. It felt nice that it actually felt like an episode about her. Yeah. And she she went through a lot of stuff. I mean, how harsh was it that, oh, here's your mum. She's actually alive. She's been gone for 20 years, but now you find out she's been time traveling and trying to save you and the entire universe, and she doesn't want to talk to you. Yeah. Like, that's pretty rough. Sure. Um, I did I did hear somebody I know I think was, was sort of complaining that they felt she's gotten real whiny, and I'm like, if there's any excuse, like, come on. This yeah, is intense. And I thought she rallied pretty well. Like, she had this was a really rough episode for her, but she still managed to get in there and do the job. And, yeah, sure, she was lying on a bed feeling pretty awful and and sorry for herself at the end of it but who wouldn't like geez it was rough and then and spock gives her a bit of a rallying speech and she gets up yeah which is nice because spock could have gloated quite a bit around that like tasting your own medicine eh you know (laughs) (laughs) rough (laughs) Rough. he feels but he's got the touch of sarek to him you know like (laughs) 
He's got the 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 Vulcan diplomat about him. Let's put it that way. Oh, wow, that would uh, that would cut him to the quick. I think <laughs> he would not like that at all. I'm just looking at my notes here, and I see. Oh, look, that was the other reason that she. So she's she's trying to establish that she can change the past. Um, Burnham Senior, and that's that's why she saved those people from World War Three as much as anything else. Um, to to prove that the past could be changed, I think, but. But you're like, well, have you changed the past? It's it, and she clearly has changed the past because she says that she was the one who put the sphere mm. into Discovery's path so that they would find it and hopefully they would get its data and then control wouldn't get it. Um, which you know means that there must have been an original timeline where that did happen. Mm. Um, but for whatever reason, she hasn't been able to go back and stop all this from happening. Well, there in seems the first to have place. been like 800 timelines where control always wins. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not clear where she can and can't go. Like she can't go back an hour before the Klingons come to kill her and her husband because of something. She mentions a time storm at some point, <laughs> which is never explained. But also it seems like she can't go back in time and just stop control from being created in the first place. Right. But I guess if she can't be there for very long... She can't do very subtle things. She has to sort and of do it's something also, pretty blatant. And also that she said that Spock has been the only person who's been able to communicate with her and understand her. Mm. So it's obviously she's tried to communicate with many other different people, beings, aliens, yeah. and not gotten anywhere. Yeah, yeah, mm. which I thought was interesting. Although i I got to say, I don't know that I feel very comfortable with the way that they basically present dyslexia as some sort of superpower in this episode. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like only you can understand my time-traveling ways because you are both logical and emotional and also you have dyslexia. I don't understand this whole thing. It doesn't make any sense. It's very flimsy. It's strange. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless – I mean, the only way I can see it really making sense is if it's not the dyslexia that helps him. It's the whatever exercises or mental discipline or whatever he's been doing to overcome it which means he's used to looking at things that okay. don't quite fit because of how he naturally perceives them and has a system or a, or a method for reassembling them into a way that does make sense. Mm. Maybe that could explain it. I don't know. But, I, but even he, like his brain got messed up by it. Mm. Um, but then again, but again they're, represent, they're presenting that as like some mind-bending thing where you can't understand the red angel because like it travels through time and it's not. And I don't think they've made it really clear why. Like I sort of... I've come to the idea in my head that the reason is she's existed across all these different timelines. And so when he mind melds with her, he doesn't just see visions of the past and future. He sees all these conflicting visions of the past and future. But that's not presented as in the text of the story. Mm. That's me like making that up to make that make sense. But I think that's what's going on. Like in the episode where the Telosians put his mind back together, it's really just said that it's seeing the past and future in a weird order. Mm. And I'm like, I think it's got to be worse than that because nobody else has this problem when they finally get to talk to the Red Angel. <laughs> They're not like, oh, mum, you're, you're alive. My brain is exploding. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's totally fine. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's a bit flimsy, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of question marks. Yeah. So, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that on some levels I really enjoyed this episode and on some levels it, it just left me a bit, these explanations are not very satisfying. Look, I have to say it's been a very shabby season. Like, I mean, not shabby, maybe shaggy is the word. Like, mm. it's it's been pretty all over the place. Yeah. And the way that it's been 
there feels like a valiant effort to kind of try to thread it all back into some kind of much like Spock's brain or something into a coherent narrative. Oh God, no, don't mention <laughs> Spock's brain. Oh God. Um, yeah. But I have confidence that, you know, like it's all going to, whether or not it's satisfactory or not, it's all going to make sense in the next final three episodes that we have and they'll put a bow on it and be like, okay, that turbulent time in Star Trek Discovery history is over and we're going to, Move on with the third season and it's all going to make sense from day dot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it'll be really interesting to see where they go with these final three episodes, I think. Shall we go to short chats? I think we shall. All right. Now it's time for Rediscovery Short Chats, where we talk news, trivia, and anything related to Discovery and or sci-fi, it seems. We will also be taking questions. We haven't heard from you guys in a while, so shoot us through a question. Surely you've got questions because I know I've got loads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so do get in touch with us on our, on our socials. What do you have today, Ben? Well, I just got a couple of little things, really. I saw okay. some nice echoes in this episode of things from other sci-fi stuff that I love. Oh, yeah. Um, and one one was the idea, and I and I have to admit, I can't remember exactly where I've seen this before, but I love the line that um, Gabrielle Burnham has when she's talking to Pike, and she says, you're a ghost to me because, you know, she's from the future she's and everybody's dead as far as she's yeah. concerned. And that's kind of echoes, I think it's in the Doctor Who New Adventures novels that this idea comes up. So this was a series of novels, if you're not familiar with them, listeners, which were written after the TV series Doctor Who got cancelled back in 1989. They continued the story in these novels. And the novels were very definitely aimed at the adult fan audience. So they got quite dark and, and there was all kinds of crazy shit that happened in them. They're not considered canon now, although they were for a long time. The Doctor in them becomes quite manipulative and dark and they explore all these weird i mean it's a bit grim dark people in their 20s writing yeah this is how you do proper science fiction and <laughs> when you look back at it um it was all happening in the sort of late sorry in the 90s it was happening in the 90s so it was at the same time as you were seeing like the big spiky pauldrons on superheroes and everybody wearing pouches and getting all grim backstories okay so yeah. it was it comes out of that same kind of milieu but with doctor who but yeah there's a there's a few times where the doctor sort of has this kind of people accusing him of thinking of everybody as ghosts because he's lived so long and he travels through time that everybody's dead to him. And I think there's a similar line that um, crops up in the TV series in the Christopher Eccleston era uh, from memory. Um, but, I, yeah, I just thought that was it was kind of interesting and it really was a nice shorthand way of showing how grim she's gotten and how mm. this time travel has affected her. Well, yeah, and this is also analogous to, you know, many cultures' gods. They're painted as grumpy, intolerant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> immersed in godly matters because she's almost like a god. Like she, you know. Yeah, she's she, got godlike power, right? She exists in all space and time and has witnessed, you know, as far as we know, at least a millennia of our quadrant of the universe's history. Yeah. Um, I only have a couple of things. One is it's been confirmed that Pike and Spock are leaving Discovery at the end of Season 2, which is understandable. They're going to go back to the Enterprise. They've got other shit to do. So that actually makes me excited about sort of thinking forward to the third season, like who's going to be the captain, what kind of missions are they going to go on. Will they go back to Vulcan where they were going to pick up their new captain and we'll find out who it is (laughs) Maybe. That's a good point. What if Sarek was the captain? No. No, that would not He's not in Starfleet. He's just an ambassador. He's very definitely not in Starfleet. (laughs) He's very angry about his kids being in Starfleet. (laughs) One of them in particular anyway. 
Yeah. Now that makes sense. Yeah, so that makes me excited. Yeah, it could be anybody. Mm. I think. Do you think it'll be a new character? I hope so, actually. Yeah. What about you? Um, I think it will be. I think it'll be good. I think there's a lot of people who probably wish it would be, you know, Prime Universe Lorca re-emerging. But I, I or think if they, even Giorgio. What Prime Universe Giorgio? No, no. Yeah. Terran Giorgio. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that, <laughs> no, I don't, she's going to be busy with. Oh, that's section right. Section thirty-one. Stuff. Section thirty-one. Yeah, because now Leland is is practically dead, probably. Anyway, um, certainly he's can't be trusted. Um, Maybe he'll be Captain Saru. I think he's he would have earned it. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. And um, Michael can be first officer again. Yeah, I think yeah. that would work out. Yeah, I'd be into that. But I, yeah, I'd also be totally open for it to be a new character. I think that would be fun. We've never had a. We've never had a show before where the main, like the captain of the ship changes every season. And mm. I think that's kind of awesome. You yeah, know? I do too. It uh, gives us a lot of scope. I mean, presumably though, if everybody goes back to the Enterprise, who's from the Enterprise, we'll also lose none. Yeah, that's no, I'm not into that at all. Well, she never knows. She might stay. She might stay on board Discovery. Mm. She's pretty cool. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Do you have, did you have another thing? Yeah, there was the other thing, weirdly, that this episode reminded me of was Back to the Future because they keep talking about how they're going to need a power source. Um, and particularly this is in the flashback, like when they're doing the, the time travel experiment and they need, the, you know, only the power of a supernova could power this. And we're like, oh, if only we knew when a supernova would happen. <laughs> oh, we do. Look, here's this thing. Save the star system. from the No, but it just it reminded me of that. Uh, not, not terribly accurately, perhaps. But uh, yeah, I thought that was fun. I have one more thing, and uh, I mentioned it last episode to talk about Gersha Phillips. Yeah. Who's the costume designer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's amazing, and I don't really have anything to say about her apart from the fact that she's amazing and also that there is – she's done a ton of press and interviews about, um, like, linguistically how she sort of took tra- – translated or – you know, yeah, translated the original series uniforms into where she wanted Discovery to go. And then there's another great interview about her talking about developing the Discovery's uniforms and how basically she kept the same cut from the Discovery's to the new TOS uniforms. So mm. they looked almost exactly the same. It's just, you know, the different colouring. I'll chuck up a couple of different interviews with her in with her. And uh, you can have a look because it's – I find that stuff super interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And I would love to – hopefully she talks also about some of the casual outfits on the show like and some of the Vulcan fashion particularly because there's some cool stuff going on there. She's done so much um, – so many interviews. I'm sure there's – on that specific topic out there. Yeah. Okay. I watched this one amazing interview where she was talking specifically about how her and the set designer – worked together mm. to they worked together to stylistically have a a, a meta frame wow. for the the um the design linguistics but then like with the Terran universe she was talking about how when she created those uniforms they then the set designer then took the um patterns from that uniforms and made it into wallpaper so that was kind of like referencing each other and just sounds like such a great process yeah 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 Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll be I'll be really interested to read that. Like, because I, I have to say, the design in all aspects of Discovery has always been top notch. It's amazing. Um, everything from the sets to the costumes to the makeup to the special effects to the sound. 
Um, oh, and you know, we we had that one nice. We always talk about the spinny directy stuff. Yeah, we had that one shot this episode where it starts off upside down with Stamets looking at the display and then slowly rotates through 180 degrees until he's the right way up. And I actually really enjoyed that for some reason. Really, I, just, <laughs> I don't know why. I just really that really tickled me in a way that you know spinning around people doesn't always fit me. I mean, sometimes I feel like it does ramp up the tension, and sometimes it feels like, can you? Just shoot somebody's face. <laughs> like, yeah. I just well, just slow it down. Like it doesn't. You don't even have to give it up. You could just yeah. slow it down to the point that I don't feel like I'm gonna puke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I luckily have not had that problem, but I but I, I get I get where you're coming from. Yeah. All right. Anything else? There is one other thing I should talk about, Carla. As I am doing a comedy festival show, uh, it's on this week as this comes out um, from the first to the seventh of April at uh, Campari House in Melbourne. So if you're in Melbourne and you like comedy, uh, we sometimes talk- Science-informed comedy as well. It's true. We sometimes <laughs> do talk about psychology here on the show, and I'm doing this show with Alanta Colley, who's also a science comedian, and it's called You Chose Poorly. It's all about the psychology of decision-making and why we're so poor at making good decisions. <laughs> I feel like maybe Michael and Spock sometimes could learn from some of the stuff I've been reading about. <laughs> um, certainly her mum as well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, just this episode, it had some real highs and lows for me. And um, just her mum's so harsh. So harsh. Understandably, though. Like, the first thing she says to her own daughter is, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) Like, that's rough. Come on. You've been listening to Rediscovery. All links to creatives are in show notes or on our website, rediscoverypodcast.com. We'd love to connect with you. Please add us on Twitter and Facebook at rediscoverypod. Rediscovery is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. Find more entertainment for your ears at splendidchaps.com.